0: Welcome back to the BAT podcast, Howard, Randy, and Zach joining you this week. Uh, we're excited uh, to have Randy with us, particularly because he just got back from a really cool event in Europe, so we're excited to hear from him about that. Uh, Zach and Randy, how are you guys doing?
1: Fantastic. Super happy to be back. Happy to see you guys. listen to a couple podcasts from across the pond, which was really fun, and uh, I'm always sort of jealous and wanting to be here talking, so uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be back.
2: Well, thanks for making it back from your Euro trip just to hang with us remotely here.
1: Thought about staying there forever. I'll be honest. Uh, oh man! Fun. If yeah, you start uh, from the
2: beginning, how was the flight over there? International oh, yeah. travel is something I haven't done in a couple of years now.
1: Yeah, I hadn't. Kind of decided to break the seal on travel with like a full-on uh, stint all the way across with. With the, uh, you know, mask on your face for 15 hours while you sleep through a red eye and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, it was a little crazy. Uh, I tried to keep it compact in terms of the itinerary USA to Italy, Italy back to USA, not puddle jumping through other places that have other rules and stuff, but it was, it was pretty well handled, honestly. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but like using the air, airline app and everything, and they walk you through the whole deal and it, it's, it seemed pretty normalized. There was room on flights both ways. So you had a couple seats to expand into and the prices were insane. I, I flew to Europe and back for, you know, 340 bucks or whatever. Right. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, um, obviously that well, business I'm- is, is ramping back up and, and normalizing a little bit, but um it felt good and it, it uh we made it work so it was fun
0: well randy I'm, I'm not surprised uh that you had a compact itinerary i think a couple of years ago you went to retromobile in paris for all of like three days and two nights so uh definitely uh, up your alley to keep it uh uh keep it brief but but so t- so you t- tell, tell us uh, you were doing the targa florio uh let, let's 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 dive in yeah,
1: absolutely. That. So I uh, have a good friend uh, that actually sells cars on BAT, Image Street Classics. You'll see on BAT, good buddy of mine that helped me acquire my Stepnos in Holland, um, what, six, seven years ago. One of the you know first day cars we sold on BAT, the blue one, and i uh, been friends with him for a super long time. And we had planned, actually, um, and mapped out to do the Targa Florio event just because we like Italian cars and, and Howard, uh, I mean, if we rewind to some of the early, like first or second BAT podcast, we were talking bucket list events and that sort of stuff. And you and I steer towards doing stuff in Europe. And I may have thrown out uh, Targa Florio on that list, but I've just, you know, grown up seeing videos and reading stories and road and track and stuff about the Targa Florio and crazy, you know, Porsche 908s driving through the hillsides and stuff that, that is sort of the stuff of dreams for me. So uh, we decided to do this, but we decided to do it last year, which was a whole mess because it got canceled. And anyway, we had to sort of reroute and change expectations, but we were were sort of on our edge of the seats. Like, is it going to happen this year? Is it going to happen? Are they going to make it work? And the organizers um, in Italy made it work. And for those who don't know, Targo Florio um, is on the island of Sicily out of Palermo, uh, way south, way southern Italy um and the island off the sort of toe of the boot uh, in a sense way down there um you know closer to africa than it is close to you know the rest of a lot of mainland europe and yeah it's pretty wild down there you know it's kind of uh, old world still and the the route of the original Targa florio which ran from 1906 Uh, All the way up until the 70s, interestingly, uh, in a couple different derivations, is like a historic route that has, you know, signage markers along it. And uh, obviously some of the same routes and terrain that it had way back in the day. Some of it was dirt, you know, way back in the day. It's all paved now, but it's very um, amazing roads. Super cool that they put this event on at all. And they bring different classes from super early cars to more modern cars, and we ran it in a um, 19, what, what it ended up being. It was our second choice car. The first choice Alpha was not ready in time, so we ran it in an Alpha 105 sedan that I believe was a 71, um, which was almost like a full track car, and that led to some problems for us, but we, we made it through and had a good time.
2: We'll get in, into that in a little bit, but first, what was the car that you had before the Julia?
1: Um, a step nose Alpha, kind of a throwback to the car that I bought back um, in 2013. Um, love those cars, and they're really good for this event. And Alpha is obviously the Italian connection, and and um, we thought that that would be sort of the perfect one. And it got super close. It was on the, you know, almost on the dyno, and like getting stuff really ready to go. And um, anyway, it just was way too way too late to try to force it down there and run it without any shakedown on it and stuff. So we pulled the plug and, uh, thankfully had a, had a backup sedan car, which was a ton of fun.
0: Wait, so me and Zach got a lot of questions for, I mean, first of all, when I think of Targa Floro, yeah, I think of Richard Atwood and Brian Redmond blazing down the mountain in Porsche 908s and alpha 33s and all that sort of stuff. Uh, in its current iteration, it's, it sounds like it's more, more of a semi laid back rally format, but other, uh, competition and and regularity classes uh how did it all go down is is it pretty casual i mean it's a european uh rally event so uh compared to u.s stuff i'm sure i'm sure it's a bit more intense than, than stateside but uh yeah how did it all work
1: yeah it's not intense in terms of like high speed or crazy you know the roads aren't closed the roads are public there's a there's a motorcycle um sort of caravan of Polizia motorcycles that are clearing the roads and making sure things are okay. But I mean, one of the biggest things about European events that I've found, um, this is the first one I've participated in, but I've actually watched, you know, um, Rally des Alpes in the, in, uh, you know, Switzerland area and tripped across different stuff in Belgium and France and stuff. And they're really into there, or there at least is a subset that's really into timing stages and regularities and, sometimes we don't think about it, but if you look back at rally Monte Carlo and you look back at like the big name events in the UK um, it's not all like, you know, pedal to the metal full speed blasting through the countryside. They, they do the, they mix in these different sorts of events and that is still in the, the events there today. And I don't see that in a lot of us events. Um, And it's even more sort of rigorous and intense. Like we kind of got in a moment where we almost like, we were, we were saying no time. We're not racing for time. So we'd go around the time stations and such. And we kind of messed up a European dude's time a little bit by like veering in and he was angry and like, it's a really big deal. So you kind of, you kind of um, have a different flavor that way. Um, But there are wide open stretches in between these regularity stages that they let you pretty much let you run. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere Um, for those of you that have run Northern California rallies. Like I know both you, Zach and and Howard um, have run a ton of Northern California roads and that sort of hot summertime, you know, green trees, brown grasses, rolling hills, bad pavement, um, narrow roads, sort of um, California feel was super familiar over there. It was super, super similar, I would say, because uh, of the way it worked. The weird part is just every 25 minutes you go through like a medieval town, right? So that's super different. In California you go through like uh, you know, cattle country or whatever. Or go past an old barn that was built 50 years ago. In this place you cruise uh, you know, through a town that has a, you know, church that was built 1500 years ago or whatever, you know. So it's a it's a super historic and different sort of feel and there is definitely this navigating of multiple classes and the, the guys that are taking it super seriously and then they allow for people like us. And, and I would say maybe a third or a half of the group, they, they made this stipulation where you could kind of signal them of I'm not doing it for time. I'm kind of here just for the roads and the driving and you kind of go around. So that, that was interesting.
2: Sorry, back to the people that are doing it for time. Is it just fastest A to B or is it time speed distance while well, they're doing calculus to maintain a certain speed and all of that?
1: Yeah, it's calculus. It's navigator with, you know, th- you know, three pens and a slide rule and, and, you know, Hoyer clocks and digital clocks and all this sort of stuff. It's not, it's not a speed event. They, they don't close the roads for a speed event. There's some guys out there driving pretty fast, um, but not, uh, it's not a race. So it's, it's, they take the definition of rally very seriously uh, in ways that I don't think we do with a, a bunch of folks that are throwing rallies together in the U.S., uh, that are more sort of a tour and so it just it's a different different texture to it and you can embrace it or like I say, they they give a stipulation where you don't have to.
0: And is it kind of Milamilia La Carrera style in some of the bigger cities with the entire population lining the streets and cheering you on or, or how does that go? Uh,
1: a couple of the towns uh, there's definite heritage and people are like can't wait for this day sort of feeling right and then a couple of them they're like I'm you know walking my donkey through the town and like why why are you jerks here in your loud cars right so it's uh it's definitely sort of variable and you don't know what's going to happen right I mean we came upon several like herds of sheep where the the farmer was like I'm not getting out of the way like this is your problem wait you know so it's like not everybody is sort of bowing down Uh, the only uh um, comparison I have for that is like at the, at the La Carrera in Mexico, right? Like there were a ton of people that would come out and it was like, they would all very much yield out of the way. That was not, not the case on this one. You could get caught behind a slow truck or a, you know, Piaggio scooter, you know, in farm country. Um, and it was just sort of a, a different feel like that, but at the, at the, a couple of key uh, sort of historic places in the route, yeah, it was lined with people and there were there were people applauding. And if you drive an Italian car, the biggest thing for us, I think if we were in a Porsche or something, people may have pushed us off the road or whatever. But in a you show up in an alpha sedan and like everybody wants to talk and say their, you know, their doctor had one 40 years ago and it's such a cool car. And, and they were all about it. So the, the Italian connection was, you know, lived up.
0: You had sent over uh, to me and Zach, I wish we could share it publicly, the uh, the entry list. It looked super impressive. It looked like well over 100 entries uh, just at first glance. I was actually surprised to see uh, a number of pre-war cars, um, which is cool. And then the rest of the field filled out, uh, frankly, with a ton of BAT stuff, right? 356s, XK120s, a Maserati Merak, Volvo 122s uh so were you, were you making some power? guy did it in an opal gt that was the highlight for me
1: opal gt was there the germans show up in opal gts man
2: awesome were
0: you uh yeah so there, or, I mean, there was, or, or uh yeah how, how did the uh camaraderie amongst the uh international participants go uh i thought it was great
1: i mean the variety of cars certainly was really good right ton of adrenaline like any rally when you show up you're like ooh, like who's gonna show and who's bringing the car and Who brings a transporter to unload it and who i mean we were crazy we like we drove i got picked up at the rome airport in the car and we drove it down there and ended up driving it back and stuff right so there's some kamikaze folks like us that also did that but mostly uh people dropped the car down there or they're locals i mean the coolest i'll I'll show it and people should definitely jump over to BAT because i'm i'm uh uh posting yeah galleries and and a recap there uh, but like the dude I called the most interesting man on the rally was this guy uh, driving an Aurelia, and he was from a town called Syracuse, which is there on the island, right? So he like drove an hour and a half to this event, and he lives there. And Italian guy with a killer Italian car, and um, yeah, so it's a great mix. The I mean the the early cars that you're talking about, Howard, and I know you dig those. Um there was a yeah, like like a Mercedes Grand Prix car, which is whoa, right? The Germans show up with that. Then there were a couple of Bentley four and a half liter cars or three and a half liter cars, right? The big Bentley boys type cars. And those, when they were in towns, I was standing there to, to sort of spectate. Sometimes those would would elicit like applause, like the whole crowd not only would just stand there and watch, they would they would applaud as those cars went by, which I actually thought was pretty impressive. They didn't do that for the Mirac or whatever, you know. And uh, so that was fun. Uh, the early stuff always gets um, uh, gets a good amount of attention and looks when a lot of people think Targa Florio, they think early stuff. Cause it started in 1906. So a lot of those famous early alpha racers and stuff were there, but yeah, then it trickles on up all the way. They had like a modern class um, and they were super intentional about how to try to keep the cars um, with sort of logical groups. So the way you queued up every single day was by model year, right? So the early cars would all go first and then the more modern stuff would come later and then there was a big like Ferrari sort of cavalcade situation that was happening with totally separate, separate route, separate days, separate restaurants, separate hotels and everything. But it, they got the Target Florida sticker too. So it was kind of um, similar. I think they switched A to B route. So you wouldn't really um, intermingle with those because those don't mix with the early stuff. But
2: And really playing into some Ferrari ownership stereotypes right there. Were those cars included on the entry list? Because I was actually surprised at how few Ferraris were on the event, and they skewed sort of modern 1980s. There was only one, I think, 275 GTB, uh, and then there's a 208 GTB, which I have mentioned on this podcast before. I love small two-liter V8s are sweet. But um, w- were those the, the eight sort of the corral on their own VIP Ferrari tour?
1: Yeah, there weren't any '50s um, um, Ferraris or a couple couple of those, you know, '60s, '70s, '80s stuff that showed up uh, and ran in there, sort of appropriate groups. But it wasn't Ferrari heavy, except for this other sort of event that was going on. But it was all like 488s and 599s and and like really new stuff
2: um actually found the fuel run of italy it was
1: a little fuel run ish but it's like all ferrari ferrari flags like red everywhere like as many you know fleeces and hats as you can imagine and like all of that stuff. and they're into it it's kind of i actually think it's kind of cool right i mean i i liked how they kept it separate if those guys were buzzing us at 100 miles an hour in the wrong lane and stuff i think it would have frankly, probably soured both events, but they did them at the same time and, and ran opposite routes. So, so that was okay. But yeah, back to the historic stuff. I mean, it wasn't super Ferrari heavy. It, um, there were some interesting Fiats. There were certainly plenty of interesting Italian cars, um, uh, Lancia cars and, um, Maseratis right there. I think there was a 3,500, um spider
2: um yeah i think i only spotted and correct me if i'm wrong because you were actually there one american car on the event it looks like some guys from the czech republic brought a 66 corvette which is pretty strong
1: there was a vet was there anything else american i don't know i don't think so i mean american was super light uh sidebar in terms of interesting cars that were there there was a bat alumni car that was there which super fired me up um, guy named Lorenzo out of Switzerland brought a 240Z he bought out of LA on BAT, shipped it to Switzerland, has been dialing it in for the last year, and then ships it to Italy and runs an event. And he said, he speaks Italian, like he's a super sophisticated, cool dude, and he said... Yeah, I keep getting this question. Everybody in Sicily says, "What kind of car is that?" Because they've never seen a 240Z in their life. There's zero 240Zs anywhere on the island. So he's ripping in a car that you and I and all of us here see every single day on BAT. But he bought a car that nobody has over there. He says he even gets that question in Switzerland. Like people are like, "What is that bizarre car? I've never seen one." You know. So anyway, and just running into happen, happen to run into BAT alumni when you're in Italy driving in a car event. I thought was was pretty magical.
2: Yeah, quite the reach. I don't even see that on the entry list, but definitely the only Japanese car that my eye could spot.
1: Uh, oh, that maybe I'm steering you wrong. It's actually a 260Z with backdated bumpers. So it looks like a 240, but it's oh. a 260. So it may be a slightly later year if we want to look. But anyway, he, uh, he's a great dude and now friends with him and, and you know, BAT alumni across the globe.
0: And what, dr- driving days were pretty manageable? You wrapped up uh... five five o'clock in time for a plate of pasta and and some hanging or it it was late
1: dude I, i love that you're asking that because there were there were two main days and then there was like a morning so it was like two plus a half the first day was total overkill um nobody got back until like 9 p.m and it's dark and people are like limping home and it was a marathon of a day um, what was it? It was, you know, 500 plus kilometers. It was like a, a, a meaningful driving day on, on crazy roads. And, um, and then the second day was, was quite a bit shorter than that. So people liked the second day a lot better because they actually got back, like you're saying at four or five and had a drink and, and then, you know, dinner was at, uh, dinners late there. So they scheduled their dinners like at nine, but like people missed the dinner. Like we missed the dinner because you couldn't make a nine o'clock dinner because the route was so long. Uh, I thought that was kind of crazy for the first day, but I kind of liked it cause it, you know, it's, it's a little, little tough. You don't want to make these things too posh. So I was pretty proud of people that actually finished it. Uh, we were running late on that day due to breakdowns and, and issues, but, um, but uh, others missed it, too. There were a lot of cars coming into town with, you know, headlights on and, and um, somewhat disoriented pulling through Palermo <laughs> and all this stuff. So um, that was long. Second day was more manageable. I think it was only like 360 kilometers, something like that. And then third day was almost like a celebrate day. It was like a little morning of driving up up one hill to a beautiful town and then everybody kind of high fives and, and uh, that was
2: it. Sounds well-paced. What were the towns like that you're staying overnight in? Uh,
1: Palermo, super cool town. I would recommend that you all go. I mean, it has a reputation for, um, for yeah, being, I don't know, a little mafia run and pretty old world and, and uh, some safety concerns and that sort of stuff. The cars were all guarded in a nice university parking lot, but un- just like they would be if you're in, whatever, Los Angeles, right? Like you'd want, you know, 275s parked outside to have somebody looking after it. Um, And we were walking around late at night, cool, vibrant nightlife, old town, we stayed right in the middle of old town and shuttled to the cars about 15 minutes away uh, each morning, which was all organized by the event. Uh, Hotels were included in the event, there was a way to include shipping of your car from the mainland to the event. They, uh, they really thought of a lot of aspects of it. And some people reached out to me, they're like, was this thing like you know, $10,000 to do this event or what it, what did it take? Um, entry for us was 2,400 euros or something like that. Right. It was like 3,000 something dollars to do two and a half days, meals, hotels, security, you know, you know, all the swag and all the stuff that they do, all the organization, which I, I didn't think was insane. I don't think it's like as cheap as some of the low buck rallies, but for the, for the, um, sort of legitimacy that the name has of Targa Florio, which I would say, I don't know, maybe worldwide is like top five event names historically that are even out there. I, I think I thought it was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, of- I would
2: have assumed it was a, a five figure entry fee for that event. That's, I'm, I'm shocked as well.
1: Yeah. And we opted out of the shipping thing because we did our own driving and different sorts of stuff. I think you can spend, you know, maybe four, 4,500 euros if you really try to go all in and have them really take care of you. But we, uh, we uh, did our own, but the towns Palermo, super cool, biggest uh, or second biggest in uh, Sicily, I think. And so, yeah, it just has a, um, I don't know, really great coastal feel, right? It's like a port town. You're on the water. You have, you have ocean views at many of these places Um, a lot of jagged cliffs and, and different sorts of things, um, in sort of a Hawaiian sort of a feel, but not, not as, you know, green and lush
2: and tropical. What was the local car scene like? Was it all modern Fiat 500s or was there some pretty strong stuff on the island?
1: Um, there were, um, not, not really classic cars just driving around there. were Yeah. Some old Fiat 500s and then all the modern stuff. I mean, everything's a hatchback, um, or like a, you know, delivery truck in town, right? That's what you see just running all over the place. Uh, and then you see a few people flying around in more modern SUVs that may, may be sort of well-to-do, right? If they're in a, you know, an Audi Q8 or something, you're like, whoa, that person's important. I don't know who that person is. A ton of Alpha Stelvios driving around. Really? Ton wow. Of, that's
2: wild. You've ton never of seen Alpha... What's that? I feel like I never see a Stelvio on the road here.
1: People ask me all about that. They're like, Oh, those must be popular. And I was like, no, nobody buys those in the U S. Uh, but the cool thing that they have, uh, that we don't, which is the little alpha hatch that says Julietta on the back and like the vintage script, it's called the Julieta. Those are absolutely everywhere. Right. The cops drive those. Um, and, uh, yeah. Fiat alpha Dacia, or I think is how you pronounce it, which is a weird brand. They had a ton of those ton of Volkswagens. Um, and yeah, that's part of the fun of traveling over there, I think, is just seeing what the modern local um, cars are. And we're obviously peering into any repair shop we can look into like, oh, is there going to be a step nose hidden in there somewhere? No, there never is, but it's fun to, fun to poke around. So some neat stuff on the roads.
0: Totally. Uh, Euro, Euro modern 1.6 liter turbo diesel, uh, uh, not offered in the U.S. Uh, car options are pretty strong. Uh, you had mentioned you had some challenges with the car you were driving, maybe two race, uh, spec, not enough roads back. What, uh, uh, how did that all pan out?
1: Yeah, that was tricky for us. Uh, it was a backup car and I think it's a little more, um, smooth roads and Northern European oriented than it should have been. Um, obviously an alpha, which you can build in a bunch of different flavors, but, this one was very low and ground clearance uh, turns out when you're in cobblestone streets and parking in sketchy garages and, you know, uh, and then out on the country roads, which had some pretty meaningful um, erosion issues. And I mean, there was a dirt stretch and different sorts of farm roads. Um, we didn't have the totally optimized car for what we were doing. I was actually longing for my Julieta TI, which is like higher clearance, high sidewall, doesn't maybe handle quite as well, but you can kind of thrash it a little bit through the bumpy roads. I was hoping for something like that. And, um, so we had that, and then we had a very high, high compression engine, like, like 12 to one, 11 and a half to one compression on the engine, which, uh, as it turns out driving on the road down there, trying to get it to idle, trying to get it to uh, handle elevation, try to, to get it to handle bad gas, those sort of things. Cre- we created problems for ourselves. Um, there were guys that were running stock alpha uh, cars, which I think could have performed as well or better than we did just because they're a little bit more versatile. So um, yeah, anyhow, we had a highly strong um, sort of track oriented alpha and it was, I think it was too much for the event it made me think of, those teams back in the day that would go down there, like, did they bring a, like a gas truck to like fuel their car for the whole week so that they could be isolated? Cause we, I mean, we'd go by these gas stations and the guys would just shake their head. We're like, do you have any better fuel? And they're like, no, you're like, why aren't you in a diesel like this? We have this standard gasoline and we discourage it. Right. So it was, it was like, oh man. So we were kind of uh, up a upper creek on that one a little bit which caused which caused some drivability issues and and some hassles
0: well that's funny you mentioned that, if people forget like at Lamont actually like the the octane of the fuel off the track was like fifty or 60, or maybe less right like uh, it wasn't it wasn't the the 90 octane we have today but but how, how does it work on that event i mean you're you're broken down on the side of the road uh, chasing problems i mean the the dutch guys in the rsr probably aren't stopping to help you out so uh, they've got they've got support or is it kind of up to uh, uh, the teams to figure it out on their own
1: yeah i'd say i mean the majority of folks that are there it's the two of them in their car right it's not like this is a like factory supported effort, really for anybody, a few rich folks show up and they've got a heavy duty car and they've got a couple mechanics with them in a truck, um, which was good for some of them, but no, usually it's like you, you try to sort it out and there's one flatbed sweep truck, right. For a hundred cars. And there's some support SUVs or whatever that will try to help you out. So we had problems on day one, 10 miles out of the start. And we're starting to head up the hill um, and we pull off. It's not running right. It's, you know, we think it's the fuel, but it's all these other problems too. And, um, and the flatbed is last. So we wait till all the rest of the cars behind us go by. And then the flatbed comes and they stop. They're totally cool. Italian guys, zero English hand signals, trying to like point at the carburetors and say what's going on. Uh, it won't run. Like, should we change the timing, the gas, we point to the gas tank, the gas is bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, they understand 25% of what we're saying and likewise, uh, same the other way. So they get on their phone. Phone service was actually pretty good all the way across the Island. So that was awesome. And, um, they call, um, this local buddy basically who has a, you know, ramshackle shop, um, actually not far from where we are. We hadn't gotten out into the country yet. We are right in adjacent to Palermo and this guy shows up in his golf diesel, um, you know, with three hubcaps on it and cruises up and I'm like, who is this guy? I don't know if he is this official or is this unofficial? Like who is this dude? And he doesn't say a word. And he looks under and he's got a flashlight and he looks at the engine and, and he says something to the truck driver guys and they say, Hey, follow him. And we're like, okay. So we start and we follow him like to his little workshop. And, and basically in the end, what they did is they have like friends all over the place that can assist, but there's not an official like crew that's going to assist, but they can kind of point you in the right direction. Uh, and at the end of the day, that guy adjusted our carbs and helped us to idle and adjusted the timing. We didn't have a timing light. He had all that equipment. Um, and he was like a hot rod or racer from over, you know, a couple houses over basically is who they called and we offered to pay him, you know, hundred euros or whatever. And he was, he wouldn't take money. So we like forced him to take 20 euros or something and said, thank you. And, and he waves and that's off you go. Right. If we broke down later, they would have found a different guy along the route somewhere. So it's a little ad hoc. Um, and you should definitely try to bring a car that's prepped uh, fully, but um, it ended up being a positive experience. So I'll show some photos of that experience on uh, on the gallery. That guy had a, a, a fiat 500 like hill climb car with a huge engine in it and stuff so he was kind of like a hot rodder at heart and and the alpha was not strange to him but if we had brought honestly if we had brought a mustang or we had brought a i don't know something some weird british car or something i don't know if the local italians will be able to give you as much assistance
0: I love that. So you tell the truck driver Merda and Benzina, he calls the local Yoko, whose grandfather was probably Jackie X's mechanic at the 71 event, (laughs) right? Probably had his 312 PB in that same shop uh, uh, 55 years ago, but that's, that's terrific.
1: It felt like that. Honestly, it felt like that. And I don't think the, the, uh, you know, the paint job on the shop has been changed since 72 either. Right. So it's like that it's total local yokel. I mean, the, the whole thing. And then again, ground clearance, right. We're, we're going down his like wonky road full of potholes and the like alpha is like bottoming out on the exhaust and we pull into his, like the chickens run out of the way sort of deal. When you pull in, I mean, it's, it's no joke. It's like all of that. It was actually raining when we did that. It was started to pour rain. I mean, It was, it was, that was actually, we laughed later, but mentally that was like my low point of the whole trip. Like we were in there and I was like, okay, this guy's pulling our car in the garage. The flatbed is left. Like the the, everywhere last place. Like this is, we did 10 miles of the Targa Florio and now we're going to, you know, drink some, drink some wine and go home. But we, we pulled a rabbit out of the hat and got the thing to run. That dude did. We, I give him actually a lot of credit.
0: I love that. The the, old, the the wife bringing you an open face prosciutto sandwich, got the car jacked up, guy speaks no English, 100 miles from the hotel, but, but you made it work. You've been there,
1: man. I mean, you've done the California version of that a whole bunch of times, right? But we were doing it not, you know, with hand signals adds a whole nother level. But again, I genuinely think the fact that we were in an alpha it gave us like instant friendships with all these people that actually wanted to help. Um, so I don't know if they would do that. Uh, you know, if you're from Finland and you bring whatever your 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 sob in there. I think these guys would have been like or, may, or maybe they're super hospitable. I don't know, but I think the Italian part uh, certainly helped.
0: Yeah, so no that, that got us thinking about yeah what, what makes a great uh, event car. I'm sure a bunch of our uh, listeners and community members have a lot of opinions on this, right? Obviously it depends what kind of event you're doing, right? whether it's more, uh wide open, nice roads or more technical and twisty, or whether you know some events have a racetrack component. Uh some even going so far as to drop the green flag and actually line up races, right? That's more Europe than the US. Um so you want something that's obviously reliable, dependable, not too high strung, right? Randy got into trouble with, with something that maybe was uh, a little temperamental. Um so yeah we, we thought it'd be cool to kind of share uh our thoughts on yeah ideal event car. Um, and, and part of that is personal preference, right? What, what you want to drive and, and what your, uh, uh, kind of patience level is for, uh, for mile to wild.
1: Yeah. And I think you can get a lot of that stuff on BAT and it's always interesting to think, where do these cars go? And so, I mean, thinking, let's just start with the Targa. like what we would have wanted a ground clearance, but B for me, particularly when you're going far away, like reliability is so paramount, right? That, that whole emotional problems that i had was like man i flew all these miles like i'm away from my family for all these days i'm doing this crazy event and you're telling me that our car is going to break like right at the beginning we don't even get to do the event like i was i was like uh not in a good spot until i came back so thinking about that, yeah, I mean, if you're going to, you know, pay for the entry for, you know, even a couple hundred dollar event or whatever it is, right, you have a sunk cost. So some degree of reliability and familiarity with your car is good. And then thinking about, yeah, is this a, a track oriented event for us? It was back roads. So, um you know, you know, lighting and, you know, a defroster that were wipers. We needed wipers for a fair amount of the run, right? We got some crazy rain squalls that happened and were, if we had no wipe, we had rain X go in and, you know, you're patching stuff together. But in general, um, having wipers that work, uh, was super positive for us. Actually a, a theme that came up for us was like, um, like baggage and, and like storage within the car. A couple of guys had super racy uh, cars that were there and they didn't have any place to put anything, not, not to mention luggage or tools or stuff you'd pick up along the way or, or whatever. And for us, like the, the fact that we had a 105 sedan, we actually thought was really cool. We had stuff thrown in the back. We needed a, you know, a battery jump box. We needed a few different things that ended up being really helpful for us and having a little bit more, of a practical vehicle for the travel component of it was helpful maybe uh, i mean nobody's really counting lap times on this thing so if you're doing some sort of race event obviously that's totally out the window but for us the utilitarian and and even the, the sort of comfort of the vehicle and how the wing windows worked we, we were able to regulate a lot of stuff that i i thought made the 105 sedan a nice all-arounder if we had just had two more inches of ground clearance Uh, and an engine that would idle under 1500 we would have had a you know it all
2: going right so sky's the limit what is the car you you'd redo the event in
1: fantastic i mean sky's the limit there's some serious serious stuff that you could bring there were guys there that howard alluded to that were running a car that won its class there in 69 and a uh, you know flared out early 911 that's super super impressive and would be fun and I think could handle maybe the bumpy roads uh, pretty well. But for me, uh, yeah, Alpha, you know, the car that we didn't have that we wanted to have there is very near, you know, the ultimate for me, a GTA, and an alloy GTA there driving in Italy doing that event. Seems like it would be amazing. The pre-war stuff, you guys should have seen it. I mean, it's, it's, I always think that that's like way out of my league. I don't even know. We can't even keep a four-cylinder Alpha running, much less like whatever is in these crazy, Pre-war, you know, supercharged Mercedes, crazy cars, and that that sort of stuff really seems like the ultimate ultimate to me. Um, but there's three, you know, I love 356s, Zach, and there was a mice in blue 356A out of out of Munich that a um, couple was driving, and it was you know pretty stock, but no hubcaps, and just looked really right. And they had you know the numbers on the doors, and they're blasting through things. It's it's hard for me not to love that.
0: Yeah, you definitely want you know kind of daily driver reliability and and driving any old car on a rally, especially in a foreign country, can be stressful enough, and you don't want to you know compound or add to that unnecessarily. I remember being on an event in in a '70s Ferrari that uh, would get really hot and and wouldn't restart if you shut it off, right? And and these are all these things that kind of pile up and it's getting late and you get lost and you stop for gas and you forget and you got to wait 45 minutes. You know, that car also is really prone to vapor lock, which in, in the wrong setting can be really terrifying if, you know, you just lose drive and you're in a bad situation when you need it.
2: Plus, nobody has an ounce of sympathy for the guy whose Ferrari gets too hot and doesn't start.
0: Yeah, <laughs> It wasn't my car. I was driving someone up to his car, you know, on any rally, casual or not, or even like a Carson Coffee, right? The guy who brings... The most exotic or oldest car big props right everyone's giving them a high five but uh but that can be challenging right i remember doing another event and was in a, a old car uh, a 40s era car that uh, had a magneto and we were overnight and it rained that night it was really damp and the M- magneto got wet and that basically torpedoed the whole rest of the event the car didn't run right it was like running on on one cylinder it was it was coughing and dying so uh you know, stuff that can be super sophisticated, the flip side of that is often it can uh, let you down. And especially if you're like me with very limited ability to actually fix something uh, with my own hands, then uh, you might be wishing you had something that was possibly more mainstream, but uh, that's gonna get you to the finish line.
1: I think all that's, yeah, definitely right. And I, I didn't even think to bring up overheating issues, right? Like I think we could probably, all of us list events that we've run That are often in the summer. And if they're in California or you did one in Mexico, Howard, which we could hear about, but the, the ones where you're watching the temp needle and you're like, Oh no. And we even had that in the alpha. So it, so it's high compression and it doesn't love to idle and it doesn't love the gas and it's got all these issues and, and then, yeah, you're driving through Italy and there's like, oh, like we're going to do construction on this road for 45 minutes and not tell anybody or the organizers. Right. So you queue up and you're sitting there and you're on a slight incline. So you can't kill the car. Cause you got to be like inching forward and different sorts of stuff. And, and you just sit there and all you're doing is watching the temp needle. You just sit there and watch the temp needle for 15 minutes and you're just sweating. Um, and it wasn't even hot. The, the, another interesting part about this event um, is that it's off season, right? October, you're down there in October. We, we kept saying over and over, man, if this event was in August and it was 110 degrees outside, like all of this would be super problematic. We'd be hot, the car'd be overheating, you know, we'd need, we'd need a totally different approach. Um, and so th- it was cool outside. It was, you know, 65 degrees outside and, um, but we were still in some of these, the engine was tuned such that if you're sitting in traffic or in the city or there's an accident or whatever for long periods of time, uh, you can, you can have problems that late night. Interestingly, it's nighttime, but we're coming into the city. It's Friday night, you know, nine o'clock turns out people are going into Palermo to have dinner, right? Like we, we were on the, uh, one of these main roads channels that comes into town and it stops, it parks for, you know, three quarters of a mile and you're sitting there and we're like, oh man, the car's going to like overheat before we get to the hotel again. So that sort of stuff, I think temp, temp viability in cars, particularly if you think ahead to when you're going to run them and where you're going to run them. Cause you tend to want to drive hard and you tend to want to climb hills and you tend to want to, uh, chase down your buddies and these events. And, and that can, that can make some brands of cars run uh run a little hot in my experience.
2: That's Temperature management, something that's becoming lost of this world with the transition of modern cars that keep cool so often.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, modern stuff. Nobody ever even thinks about that, right? It's like a it's a dummy light. It's not even a real gauge, but uh on on Alphas and on, you know, we you know, I, I guess air cooled Porsches. I was watching the temp gauge on the on the 356s, even though those are pretty robust. But any yeah, anything water cooled. I'm I'm always watching the temp gauge. So some of these events, that's that's certainly a good thing, good thing to play, to plan for. But uh, yeah, second most important for us ended up being ground clearance. You know, I mean, we it it is tremendously taxing. I don't know if you guys have ever run one of the California rallies where you're you're like you're scanning the road. All the time for any pothole or a depression or a you know water crossing or a, or a you know any dip that you're gonna end up dumping the front end of the car or bottoming out. That we ran the California Melee in a Julieta Sprint that was hot rodded and lowered. It had a really low oil pan. I just remember the mental drain, even from the Navigator seat where I was, of like, look out, oh look out, like don't hit that. Was it just changes it. And now, like I say, running my Julietta, I feel like it's just a freight train train, you know, train tracks. You just hammer down, you just go over it. You know, it'll never, it'll never bottom. And that it's so mentally freeing as you're covering miles where you don't have to think about, Oh, there's a rock on the road. Okay. Just straddle it. Right. Or there's a, there's an animal or there's a, whatever, you know, big pothole, just, just hit it and we'll be, we'll be okay. Um, That we didn't have that on this event. And I've, I've been on events where that that is taxing.
0: Oh, dude, that's, uh, yeah, you just opened up Pandora's box for me. But part of that dynamic depends on the relationship between driver and co-driver, uh, right? Some roads are super, like I was on a Northern California event a few years ago and took the dirt stage, which is an optional big mistake. Uh, and yeah, one of those roads that you know every 10 feet you're scanning boulders, dips, and and sometimes you can't help it, right? And and the co-driver might say, well, if I was driving, I would I wouldn't have hit that. And we were in a GTV, and I basically like ripped the oil sump guard off. And th- thankfully we had an oil sump guard; or else it would have been a lot worse. But uh, yeah, talk about other other dynamics that can that can uh, compound stress and and uh, uh, pleasure can quickly turn to pain. Uh, especially if you look down at the at route book, and we only got 15 miles of this road left with an average speed of 21 miles an hour, right? Uh, so yeah, I've been there
1: yeah, it feels that 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 mental taxation when you're looking out the windshield, like waiting for the next problem every hundred feet and you want to make time, you want to go fast, but that tension is it's a real thing. So um thinking about what kind of cars, rear engine cars, i don't I don't see the bottoming out being as as problematic. It's more a you know stuff in the the front end. It's funny. you're talking alpha, and we're we were talking alpha. maybe that's an alpha scenario but I remember my you know 65 Mustang that's been sold on the site a couple of different times like that car was low sort of Shelby eyes' mustangs um, and you would drag the exhaust on that car if you you know it was it was very low and a somewhat heavy car so rough roads and those are tough too so it's not just an alpha thing there's a bunch of different cars that you got to watch for on that but it's it's cool to have that you know racy profile and really you know aggressive, lowered suspension for a lot of photos and for some track duty but when it comes to um rally events and road events there's nothing wrong with a 60 series sidewall and some uh you know a little more air under the car because you're not really going for time
2: you're going for fun on the roads and 911 s front spoilers look great until there's a giant rock hole through them
1: I've never liked S front spoilers anyway, dude. I know you sold your car already. So now I can say that.
2: But I I, I can do S front spoiler, but uh, yeah, no, no ducktail on an early car in my opinion. Yeah,
1: And as you know, on the 240Z, first thing I took off was that front spoiler. I didn't like it at all because- Yeah, good uh, call
2: on the cow catcher on that car. I like,
1: yeah, I like a little, uh, a little different look on the front, but some, yeah, front body. So there's body work that can, that can have an issue, but there's also the stuff we're talking about, which is mechanical uh, in terms of drag, you know, ripping the exhaust off your, uh, off your car.
0: No, Randy, that's awesome. We appreciate the, uh, the update looking, I'm looking forward to, to seeing your, uh, your gallery, uh, as I'm sure everyone else is. Uh, so did that, did that whet your appetite, uh, entirely for, for, uh, Euro rallies or are you ready to get back on a plane and go back or, or what?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I gotta I gotta pick my dates wisely uh, these days, and so I mean, a, a few of these a year I can probably figure out how to pull off uh, stateside, and then maybe sprinkle in a couple from Europe. I, I there's there's something really wild about being able to you know mix it up with totally different people and and cars and roads, and th- this is true. You guys have found this too geographically. You run a bunch of events right in your hometown and it's cool. It's like going to cars and coffee in your hometown, but you tend to know half the cars and you know the folks and you know there's familiarity. So that feels great um, in terms of being included with that. But I had never seen in the flesh, I don't think any of the cars on this event. Um, So that's kind of cool, right? Because it just is a totally different cross section. And then the people, right? Right talking to, talking to them or getting their stories, all new people. And they, a lot of them want to talk about BAT, which is super cool. That's something
2: see. I wanted to get into because it's obviously a huge international presence, people from all different countries. What were the hangs like with the people at the end of the day? Were most people all on the same page with, with language or was there a barrier there? What was the chatter like? Well, you got yeah no
0: logo logo transcends borders and language so you are wearing <laughs> your V jacket. What else do you need?
1: Absolutely I had the jacket and the hat going which helped and yeah people wanted to start a conversation like the Z guy I, I, I should know every single car we got on the site but it had escaped me that his 260 was a car from the site but I had the jacket on and he's like, oh yeah by the way, I bought this car on your site and I was like whoa I, I like fell over like lightning strike. Uh, and then others, you know, Dutch guys, these Swiss guys that were really cool, um, they were driving Alphas, interestingly, sorry, broken record, but different Alphas, they were driving a Montreal and a, oh, we'll have to look at the pictures. What was the other red car next to the Montreal? There were, these guys were driving like unusual cars with Swiss tags on them and they came up and they're like, oh, BAT, like, you know, I bought this car on BAT and I've been watching these cars on BAT every day and, you know, they're all about it. Um, And that, that's always naturally really invigorating for all of us to hear and, and seeing that people like the cars on BAT and they're buying cars and shipping them to Europe and they're uh, selling cars into the US and, and doing all that sort of
0: stuff. And the Swiss are never the ones on the side of the road. Those guys are so, right?
1: Man, their their clothes are pressed and like perfect. I, I don't know how these guys are doing it. They're driving to Montreal. Montreal's never run, do they? This guy's Montreal is like perfect for the whole event. No problem. Turnkey,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and he he's just totally fully put together. And, you know, you don't want to pry or whatever, but you're like, what's your story, man? Where'd you, where'd you come from? And how'd you pull this off? These kind of guys that just drop like, oh, yeah, you know, the Amelia the is nothing like this. It's, it's a little different. And I was like, oh, okay, clearly you've done that like 12 times, you know? So uh, anyway, fa- fantastic folks. But yeah, how, what's the vibe like, Zach, your question Um, I'd say it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag is the honest answer. There's some people that have no interest in making friends and they kind of bring their own party and they have a little cliquish deal in their own language. And, you know, you can go up and offer to take a photo with them or of their car or whatever. And they're cordial, but they're not, they're not really looking to socialize the guys in the, you know, cheese Italia's or whatever, right. You're like, wow, these guys really don't need to talk to me at all. Um, and then they're, are people that like want to be bros with everyone and they're talking and they want to, you know, we're wrenching on the car and they're like bringing their toolkit over and, and people that want to be super um, congenial and helpful. And that does go across languages, right? The, the, there weren't too many Brits on the event. Obviously those people would be easy to, to converse with, but there were Italians. Most of the Italians didn't speak a ton of English except for the event organizers had really helpful English speaking, uh, bilingual people at all the hotels and everything super helpful but participant wise the Dutch guys all speak great English and want to talk and have cool cars the Swiss guys all have very cool cars and are sophisticated they want to talk the Germans are cool they're a little standoffish frankly they were to me um and you're they are, German
2: right
1: yeah I mean I, I speak a little German here and there Can you chat them. them up in German little bit, kind of Mm. knocking the rest off a little bit, you know, and, and, but there I'd say it's 50, 50, 50% of the folks want to chat or very interested in your car. What are you doing? What are you, why are you in Italy? How's this work? Um, then there's the bring a trailer connection and then 50% are kind of off on their own. And this is their holiday with their, uh, you know, husband and wife or their friends or whatever. And they're not, they're not really looking to branch out.
2: So I rate myself on the, the scale of incredibly classy to less. So, uh, Closer to the less so end, you are much more on the incredibly classy side. So the events I go on usually break down into Coors Light in the parking lot at the end. Was there a little bit of that there? Or was it mostly just red wine and the hotel bar and people going to bed at 9.45 p.m.?
1: Um, it's the, the hang around the broken car thing is real. That's true at any event. Uh, in this case, there was a three fifty six that just wouldn't run. The carburetors were off of it. I think they had the fuel troubles that we did. The carbs were off of it. It was an Italian registered car, but the carbs were off it in the parking lot, like laying on the curb. And these guys, there's five guys around it and they're trying to get it going. Um, and that, that creates a social dynamic, right? There there's less, or we didn't experience anyway. Uh, like one in the morning and, and yeah, a, a, you know, 12 or a silver bullet sort of feel there, but there was, um, but there was good camaraderie around it and guys definitely with breakdowns that's going to happen on, on any event and, and people pitching in. And then there's people that totally ignore you. And it's like, this is your problem. Figure it out. Um, dude, so dude, we did it. You know.
0: Guys are definitely ripping cigs later at night in the side streets of Palermo. They were a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, there was more for me, given what a
1: destination event it was, there was less like the parking lot is the place to be with the cars. It was more, let's get out of here and like go see the town. Right. And I think a lot of people were like that, the really sophisticated crowd, like is into the gala dinners and the fancy hotels and all that sort of stuff. We were like, you know, throw on your walking shoes and let's go walk through the old parts of these towns and see, see what the nightlife is like. And, you know, it's kind of, semi post COVID down there. So there's like half 50, 50 mask and not, and people are kind of getting back into it, which, which felt uh, interesting to kind of observe and see how that was all being navigated. But it, I mean, so cool dinners are at nine o'clock, right? So the town's rolling until one or two in the morning on weeknights. So it was fun, you know, at 1230 at night, hanging out in some small old towny um, bar scene and, and seeing what that all was like. That's, that's a lot of the flavor of the event for me. So while it is fun to be, messing with the cars in the middle of the night or, or, or after the event and that sort of thing for us, we wanted to soak up some of the local tourism as well, which we got to do.
0: No, that's awesome. Randy. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing your, uh, uh, your report. We'll wrap it there and we'll be back next week with, with another episode. Thanks guys.
1: Yeah. Fun to be back with you. Super stoked to be back. Let's do some more podcasts. (laughs)